0: is the day we stop growing in God, the day we stop developing ourselves. And therefore, I I just want to say that what I'm about to share with you tonight, you may have heard it a million times, but I believe it's going to be fresh to you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for every single person who's come here tonight with an anticipation and expectation to hear from you and to, to live for you in this life. So, Father, I pray that as we turn to your word, you would open our hearts so we could receive your word uh, and that, that that word that as we receive it humbly saves our souls so we receive it tonight in Jesus name can anybody say amen. Amen. amen i want to share tonight under the title word and spirit because i believe that holy spirit wants to move and to impact people tonight but i also believe that god wants us to have a I don't want to say a balanced approach, but a sense of understanding that the author of the Scripture is the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not at odds with the Scripture. The Holy Spirit is not at odds with us knowing the Scripture. The Holy Spirit is not at odds or in any way against us gleaning wisdom from the Bible. And sometimes in Christianity, in Christendom, there seems to be an either-or. There seems to be a situation where some churches emphasize the word, some individuals emphasize the word, some individuals emphasize the spirit, and some churches emphasize the spirit. But I want us to be a word and spirit church. I want us to be a, a church that highly honor and receive the word of God because that was the letter that the Holy Spirit wrote to us Amen. as believers. And I also want us to honor the presence and power of the Holy Spirit amongst us. I want us to be more and more a Word and Spirit church. I want to share with you something that uh, you may be familiar with. It was a prophecy by Smith Wigglesworth that uh, is attributed to him that took place in 1947. And I researched into this prophecy more this week. The reason being is some, a colleague of mine once said to me when I was getting really excited about this prophecy, what God was just, I'd found this prophecy and I was really excited about it. And you know, sometimes there's, there's people who love to pour cold water on your enthusiasm, isn't it? Yes. So I remember this colleague of mine saying to me, well, it wasn't even Smith Wigglesworth who wrote that, you know, and, and I thought, thank you for blessing me. Anyway, <laughs> so I did a bit more research into it because <clears throat> it's important that we Uh, get our facts correct, and what I found is that, and I haven't got all my notes with me tonight, so I'll try and remember as best I can, and I'll give you more details if you want. Basically, um, the reason why people have suggested that the prophecy I'm about to share with you wasn't in Smith Wigglesworth, attributed to him, is because in the collection of his life works that were put together by a man called Robert Slayden, this prophecy is not in those works. But if you know anything about history, there's always more than one source, isn't there? And um, what I would say is that it's clear from my own study that this prophecy was given one week before Smith Wigglesworth went to be with the Lord. One week before he went to be with the Lord in his 80s. And he gave this prophecy at a, a, a whole series of meetings and his friend who later wrote a biography of Smith Wigglesworth wrote the prophecy down and it's attributed to him. And it's significant because it was it was spoken and then written down in 1947 and Smith in this prophecy that the Holy Spirit gave him, he goes on to talk about different phases of of, of God moving in the church in this nation and moving in the world in this nation, particularly in the church so let's just let's have a look at it so He's speaking in 1947, and he says this, During the next few decades, there will be two distinct moves of the Holy Spirit across the church in Great Britain. The first move will affect every church that is open to receive it, and will be characterized by a restoration of the baptism and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let's just pause there a minute. This first move happened in the 1960s. It was called the Charismatic Renewal when people were coming out of probably what you would call established churches and or they were still in established churches and stayed there, but they got baptized in the Holy Spirit and they started to speak in tongues and moving spiritual gifts in a powerful way and actually some denominational churches threw people out as a result. Particularly the Brethren Church and others. Um, we have, I have a number of men that I'm aware of that were thrown out of certain churches because they practiced... Uh, believing and and being baptised in the Holy Spirit and moving in spiritual gifts. So that happened. Then it goes on to say this, the second move of the Holy Spirit will result in people leaving historic churches and planting new churches. And that happened from the 1970s. History, not just church history, but secular sociological uh, articles and history says that one of the big moves of spirituality in the church were people in the 1970s and 80s through what was called the house church movement coming out of established churches and planting new churches where they had freedom in worship, where they could believe in not in a uh, the, the, the queen is the head of the church but actually Jesus is the head of the church and we've got ministries, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists that work to serve the church and bring the church into maturity. And all these sort of revelations were hitting the church afresh They'd been there before, but they were hitting the church afresh in this nation. And many amazing men and women planted new churches, and this new move was established. And actually, that new move is, is where this church came out of. It was called the New Church Movement in this nation. And this church was planted at, uh, around you know, a few years after that move started. Okay, so in the duration of each of these moves, the people who are involved will say this is the great revival, but the Lord says no. Neither is this the great revival, but both are steps towards it. When the new church phase is on the wane, that means it's 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 not as potent as it was. The new church phase people were planting churches left, right, and centre in this country in the 1980s, and the 1970s, and it started to be on the wane as different kinds of churches came into being you had mega churches start in different cities and all sorts of different changes were taking place in the church so when this second move was on the way and that did so much good for the church in our nation this is what smith said will happen by the holy spirit there will be evidenced in the churches something that has not been seen before a coming together of those with an emphasis on the word and those with an emphasis on the spirit when the Word and the Spirit come together, there will be the biggest movement of the Holy Spirit that the nation, indeed the world, has ever seen. It will mark the beginning of a revival that will eclipse anything that has been witnessed within these shores, even the Wesleyan and Welsh revivals of former years. The outpouring of God's Spirit will flow over the UK to mainland Europe. From there, will begin a missionary move to the ends of the earth. Every time I read this, I get the shivers, you know what I mean? Because this guy, under the inspiration of the Spirit, prophesied the the first two moves of God that happened in the 20th century from the 1960s onwards. But this last one is still to happen. This last one is still to happen. I had somebody in my office the other day and they were saying, you know, well, I'm not sure there'll be many Christians left here by 2020. It may be all become Islamic. And I I said to him, no, I don't believe that's the case. I believe God can move in this nation. I believe God's got his hand on this nation. And um, I really believe that this is what God wants because we have dipped our toes in the river of God and in the Holy Spirit's power, but we've never become completely immersed because I believe it takes word-grounded people to contain the power of God. Amen. People that want to be, dare I say it, discipled, want to be those that are real followers of Jesus. One of the greatest prophecies that somebody ever gave me personally as a man of God stood up and said to me, you are to be a real disciple of Jesus Christ. What a great prophecy. Amen. Wonderful. God wants us to be those that are followers in the same way with Jesus and want to receive from him, but also want to receive His word that 's preached from our uh, 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 the church that we 're a part of. the bible says in psalm ninety two planted in the house of God, you will flourish Amen. and frankly, across Christendom, there is too much going on that it seems. Um, which God will move him because you know God is desperate to move and God is desperate to see people saved and see people healed and see people delivered can I say he'll use anyone because he just loves people and he wants whenever people just open themselves to say God use me he will use them for because he cares about people coming to know him sometimes our characters and our the way we are, our capacity to receive from the Lord is not where it needs to be. And God wants us to be those that that are formed and fashioned not only by our encounter with the Holy Spirit, but by the Holy Spirit holding onto our shoulder and pointing out wonderful things in the Word of God that we can build into our lives. God wants, I believe... The most powerful people on the face of the earth to represent him. But powerful people have to be stable people. And I'm saying that for myself too. Powerful people have to be stable people. And we cannot become stable in our own strength. We have to let the word of God ground us in the right sense into a place where we are thinking like him, Speaking like him, loving like him, and seeing the world and seeing ourselves and seeing people like he sees them. I believe that's where God wants. There's people that are, there's a coming together of the word and the spirit. There's as much excitement and enthusiasm to sit under the preached word and respond to that as there is to see a move of the Holy Spirit and people fly across the room. I'm looking forward to flying across the room. Amen? I'm looking forward to that. I, I, believe, I believe this. This is conjecture, but I believe before the fall, Adam flew. I really believe that. I, I, I believe that. I believe that, that there's things in God that are, are part of our spiritual heritage. We've not even hit the tip of the iceberg. But God wants us to be so, so grounded in wisdom by the Spirit, by the words. That we'll not be easily moved when the persecution comes. When the, when the offense comes. When somebody says something to you that you do not like. And even though you move powerfully in God, you get, we get offended and we decide to shipwreck our faith in that moment. And we, it takes three, four years to recover. God wants us to get healed up on the inside through an encounter with His Word, an encounter with His Spirit that brings more of a stability into our lives. God wants us not to go up and down, but go from glory to glory. And sometimes it may be glory to glory like that, but you're still going in the right direction. And why can't I go like that glory to glory? Well, you're still making progress. But, But this, what is this about? Looks like a snake, doesn't it? Oh, sorry, oh, I won't go there. But it's a, different, it's a different influence, isn't it? Okay? God wants us to find a place of stability in His presence and His Word. And I'm not saying this to offend anybody or condemn anybody, but I believe the Holy Spirit wants to convict us that time is short, brothers and sisters. God has an assignment for us. He wants us to be a generation where the Word and Spirit come together and where we see great things happen in our day. Amen? Amen. Let's just look at a few scriptures. John 16, if you've got a Bible, you can turn to it. John 16, 13 to 15. I think I may turn to it. It's all right having all this technology, but I just like books as well, do you? I I do like books. (laughs) Thank you, Father. John 16. Thank you, Jesus. John 16, verse 13. This is Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you, into all truth, can I can I just say what truth is? It's reality. Look, if you study the word truth, you get to the word reality. The only real reality is in God, not in the circumstances, not in our emotions, not in what's been done to us or not's been done to us. The reality is in God. The truth is in God. Amen. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. That's interesting, isn't it? This is the powerful Holy Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit's the one that was was there to brood over the earth and bring creation into being. The Holy Spirit's the most powerful spirit in the universe. And yet he doesn't speak on his own authority. He recognizes the need for community. He recognizes the need to be in a place where he is both not just the influencer, but also the one who is influenced. He has the Father and the Son, and he willingly submits and serves them, and they willingly submit and serve him. There's an authority that comes with power, and it comes in this way. He doesn't speak on his own. He doesn't speak the first thing in in his head. He speaks only what he hears. It goes on, it says, For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you of things to come. He will glorify me. This is how God gets glory. For he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. God does not get glory in us being weak and ineffective. God gets glory when we allow the Spirit to take of what belongs to Jesus and make it known in our lives. What does that mean? That we become stronger and stronger like Jesus. Then God starts to get glory. Can anybody say amen to that? God starts to get glory. And that takes a process. There's not going to be one moment in your life where suddenly you wake up in the morning and you are the next glorious you know, magazine-endowed preacher pulling in crowds of 50,000 people. You know what? If that's what you're running after, forget it, because it isn't important in God's eyes. What is important is this, is that you and I fulfill the particular race, we're going to go on to it, the particular race that God has called us to. And to do that requires us to submit to God's process of letting the Spirit and the Word work on our lives, not just going from event to event and thinking, by somebody laying hand on me, it's going to all change. That may be a springboard and a kickboard to get going. It may be a powerful encounter, but if you don't build on that encounter with the daily process of enjoying the presence and the Word of God, then what will happen is this, you'll drift away, as I said this morning is tough stuff, isn't it? But I believe God wants us to grow up into a new way of looking at things because he wants us to be strong enough, strong enough to deal with what's what, what God wants to do in this earth. When when I look at that prophecy and it says it's going to be greater than the Wesleyan Revival or the Welsh Revival, you know, the Welsh Revival was led by a young man called Evan Roberts, and in his late 20s, he was out of ministry and he was a He was uh, in, in depression and he was in all sorts of problems with health because it broke him to be such under the pressure of that move of God. And I believe that God wants to so build strength into us as his people that we can realize that the mission we have is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And that God wants us to be hidden in his presence daily in His Word daily, so that we can become the awesome people God wants us to be and become the awesome church God wants us to be in this world. Amen? Amen. But I also look at that phrase, the Wesleyan, bigger than the Wesleyan revival. Can I suggest to you, if you look at history, and it's in secular history as well, if the Wesleyan revival hadn't taken place, that's John and Charles Wesley going about on horseback, preaching the gospel, uh, seeing people healed, seeing people saved, seeing people touched by the Holy Spirit up and down this country. They were persecuted. They were, there was attempts on their life. They, the religious people kicked them out of churches. All sorts of stuff happened to them. But let me say this to you. If they hadn't done what they'd done, secular history records that this country would have had another re- revolution and it would have been as bloody as the French Revolution. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And a secular government would have been installed like has been installed in France for 300 years where still in this country even though whatever it would mean to them they still pray in parliament today 25 percent of people around 20 to 25 percent of people in this country were Christians after the end of the Welsh uh, the, the Methodist revival or the Wesleyan revival that's the fifth of the nation can you think of that? A fifth of the nation, this about 70 million people in this nation, 65 million people in this nation. Can you imagine a fifth, 20% of them? Mm. Now, you may think, you may oh, Jeff, 100%, 100%. Yeah, that's great, but let's start somewhere. 20%. Yeah. 5% go to church yeah. in the moment. Five, 5%, I would say, are really what you would call committed Christians. So 20%. But Smith's saying it's going to be greater than those things. Look at all the hospitals, schools, amazing public buildings the Methodists built up and down this, this land for the glory of God. Change the nation, not just in terms of churchianity, but in terms of reality as well. God wants us to do great things by the Holy Spirit. As I said this morning, the Holy Spirit is not just for us to enjoy a nice meeting, but the Holy Spirit is to change the world. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> And I said this morning that Ezekiel and Elijah were revivalists and full of the Holy Spirit, but so was Daniel and Joseph, and they changed nations. Yes. It's important that we realize that we, don't, we, we, we kind of put the Holy Spirit into this box. Oh, there's this latest ministry that's moving in the Holy Spirit. We've got to go there. That's fine. Go there. If you're hungry for God, there's nothing wrong with going there. But don't put the Holy Spirit in a box. He wants to move powerfully every day of our lives. Amen. Amen. So the Spirit's there to take of what belongs to Jesus and make it known to you. The security that Jesus had in his Father's love, the, the confidence that he had, regardless of what was thrown at him, he had confidence, stability, Jesus had such stability. How many times did they try to kill Jesus and yet he still healed them all out of compassion? Think about that. Mm -hmm. He didn't take, you know, two years off and then come back. The next day he was ready, bam, to do the same thing again. To the very people on the cross, Father, forgive them. It wasn't, you know, somebody saying, Oh, you know, your bum looks big in that Jesus. It was a serious persecution. I'm offended. You know, somebody didn't smile at me today. We've got to grow up, guys, into what God wants for us in this generation. Amen? Let's look at the word for a few moments. Psalm 119, verse 116. Uphold me, make me strong according to your word, that I may live. So many of us, even as Christians, we're just existing. We're not really living. Why? Because there's all sorts of thoughts and circumstances and past experiences that are the things that we stand on and believe to be authority in our lives instead of the Word of God. And I want to say, and I I, I want to be in that place as well where The only authority that makes me stand, the only influence that is the final authority in my life is the word of Jesus, the word of God. Can you say amen to that? Uphold me according to your word that I may live and do not let me be ashamed of my hope. Powerful. Here's another one. Psalm 138 verse 2. I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name. For your loving kindness and your truth. You notice there's a praise and there's an adoration and there's a worship of, of God here for His loving kindness and His mercy. I believe that represents the work of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of grace. But also, there's a praise for the truth. There's a praise for the Spirit and there's a praise for the Word. There's a focus on the Spirit and there's a focus on the Word. What else does it say? For you have magnified your word above all your name. Some translations say you have magnified your word and your name together. The point is this. God thinks highly of his word. Can I say that God thinks highly of his word? God thinks highly of the scripture. And if we don't think highly of that, I'm not sure We'll, we'll, we'll get to be those that he shares his secrets with. If we don't value what he values. Please hear my heart. I'm not saying this to cause anybody to feel condemned. But I really believe that God wants to share his secrets with every single person who wants to open their heart to him. But he wants us to value what he values. It says about David, he was a man after God's own heart. And it said this, he said, he loved righteousness and hated wickedness. In the Psalms, he cries out, he says, I, I love what you love, God. I hate what you hate. There's no middle ground. For you have magnified your word above all your name. That means this, that in the word, God wants to pour into you an identity that's entirely Godlike. He wants to pour that into you from the word. So you see yourself the way he sees you. Through the Word of God. The promises of the Word of God. The prophecies of the Word of God. It will take a desire. You say, well, I don't think I even have that desire. Like I said this morning, some people say, I don't have the faith. Well, ask for it. Ask for a desire for the Word. We say, well, I'm not a very good reader. Well, ask somebody to help you be a better reader. And while you're doing that, let us get the Word on audio for you. And I've said this before, but whatever excuse can be there, I believe we can get it out of the way so you can become all that God wants you to be. Let's have another one quickly. Proverbs 4, 20 to 27. This is a powerful proverb, and it's like the father speaking through the word to you and me as his children, as his sons and daughters. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are, what? Life to those who find them. And health to all their flesh. goes on, he says, keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it springs the issues of life. And how do we keep our heart? It tells you here. Put away from you a your deceitful mouth and a put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right, we just heard this, to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil or dysfunction. Amen. Amen. How do you do that? Well, we're going to look at one more scripture. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. This is in the Living Bible, but it will be similar in your translations. It says, Since we have such a huge crowd of men of faith watching us from the grandstands, let us strip off anything that slows us down and holds us back, and especially those sins that wrap themselves so tightly around our feet and trip us up, and let us run with patience. The particular race that God has set before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, our leader and instructor, he was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy he knew would be his afterwards. And now he sits in the place of honor by the throne of God. If you want to keep from becoming faint-hearted and weary, how do we stop becoming faint-hearted and weary? Think about his patience. A sinful man did such awful things to him. When you feel like giving up, just spend a few moments... Thinking about what Jesus has done for you. When you think about giving up, think just for a few moments of what he went through for you and I. You know, there's been a couple of times in my life and ministry when I felt in my emotions like giving up. And on one particular time, I took hold of that video, The Passion of the Christ, the one that Mel Gibson directed. And I watched that. And I was in tears the entire way through. And I thought, when I look at what you've done for me, Jesus, how can I give up? I've not suffered the way you've suffered. No matter how bad it's got for each one of us, and I can't begin to imagine what you have been through. But I can say this with all honesty. What we've been through is nothing compared to what Jesus went through for us. Nothing compared to that. And because he went through that, when we appropriate what he did for us, he can change and heal us from what we went through. Isn't that amazing? But while our focus is on everything else but Jesus, we lose heart. We don't run the race. But God wants us to run with patience. It's a strange Phrase, isn't it? Run with patience. How does somebody run with patience? You know, if I run, I, I, it's not like, a, it's not like a, you know, a, a patient action, is it? It's, it's, it's a very vigorous action to run. Basically, the writer is saying that, that running with patience means this, running with consistency. That on the outside, you're very vigorous and you're going for it, but on the inside, you're allowing the peace of God to reign. That can only happen not through our own strength but through allowing the Word and the Spirit to come together in our lives. Let the peace of God reign on the inside. We can be very vigorous and running on the outside. We can be doing all sorts of different activities for God but on the inside there's a peace and a rest no matter what the storm comes. Run with patience. How do we do that? Simply this. The Bible is very simple. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. And Jesus, the Bible says, He is the Word, the Logos, and the Spirit of the the Holy Spirit is described as the Spirit of Jesus. Fix our eyes on Him. Mm -hmm. Fix our eyes on Him. Fix our eyes on Jesus. To run the particular race. Why does He say particular race? Why, why do we, allow, when we allow the Word and Spirit to come together on the inside, we run with patience, there's a particular race. He's saying, don't look to the right or the left. Don't look and compare yourself with the person next to you. How that person's doing. Are they doing better than you? Are they doing worse than you? Uh, you know, are they, are they a hypocrite or not? Are they condemned or not? That's irrelevant. You run your particular race. Yeah. This is not individualism. It doesn't mean that you don't care for anybody, but it means you can care for people but don't compare yourself with other people. Because you've got a particular race. And because of our Western culture particularly, there'll be some people that feel, well, my race doesn't seem that good compared to somebody else's race. I would like their race. The problem is when you start to step on their race, you can't run anymore because it's not your particular race. Come to a place in God by his word and the spirit where you find a contentment in being you. Wow. Some nice big fireworks there. Where you find a contentment in being you. In God. When you're not trying to strive to be somebody else, you're not trying to... Strive to be Bill Johnson, Benny Hinn, or Reverend Billy Boosboos. You're not. You're not trying to be anybody but you. Yeah. Enjoy being you. Yeah, yeah. And let God move through you. Um, God. Thank you Run with patience. I want to read this to conclude the message in a different translation. But here's two marathon runners for you. <laughs> <laughs> just to lighten the mood. <laughs> Forgive me. I just. I- when I saw this, I, I just, it just made me smile. Because even though it's, it's such a funny photo, here's two marathon runners. <laughs> two marathon runners I respect. One in the physical and one in life. Amen? Amen? Two marathon runners. But let's look at this in a different translation. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. As for us... We have, all, we have all of these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds. Each affirming face reality. So we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin we so easily fall into. Just let it go. Let it go, let it go. <laughs> then we will be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination. For the path has already been marked out before us. We look away from the natural realm. We fasten our gaze onto Jesus, who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this, because his heart was filled with the joy of knowing that you would be his. Oh, isn't that wonderful? He endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation. And now six sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider carefully how Jesus faced such intense opposition from sinners who opposed their own souls. Think about that. When people oppose you, they're opposing their own souls. So that you won't become worn down and cave in under life's pressures, forgetting your destiny. Wow. Amen. Amen. Enough said, huh? Powerful. Stand with me, would you? Just close your eyes in his presence.